0: Welcome to the Kingdom at Hand podcast. I am Pastor Joe Faldett. Our sermon series through the book of Ephesians is officially done and we are now starting to look at the book of Judges. If you want to know how we're approaching the book of Judges, uh, the last sermon was on how to study story and that's talking about and laying the foundation for the book of Judges. As we go through this, we encourage you to like it on iTunes, share it with other people if you enjoy it, and if you don't, uh, it would be nice if you kept silent and didn't give us bad reviews. But nevertheless, if you want more information about Hosanna, come visit us at our website, www.hosannafreelutheran.com. You can come and worship with us on Sunday mornings. We have worship at 10 a.m. and Sunday school at 9 a.m. You can also check out our YouTube page if you want to watch me deliver this sermon. And the YouTube page is Hosanna Free Lutheran Church. Judges 1, verses 1 through 7. And I read in Jesus' name. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went up with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and cut And caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word, we ask that you would guide us. Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would work in our hearts, that you'd help us to apply these truths into our lives, Lord, that we might grow in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And so as we start, you know, we start out with the book of Judges, why was Judges written? As we study throughout the book of Judges, the... The best understanding of the book of Judges that I have, not meaning that I am the end-all, beat-all, but the best understanding of the book of Judges I have is that the book of Judges was written to describe to the Israelites why the Israelites had wandered so far from God. Because in the days of Joshua, which is the book right before Judges, you know, in the days of Joshua, they were being led by Joshua. Joshua. And God was doing remarkable things through the people of Israel. God was showing himself strong. God was showing himself powerful. They walked across the Jordan River during flood stage. They picked up rocks out of the Jordan River, carried them out of the Jordan River, set them up as an altar so that all throughout the age of Israel, it was supposed to be all throughout the age of Israel, they could look back at those rocks and say, see what God has done. These came out of the water. And this was happening through Joshua. And Joshua was leading the people of Israel. And Joshua was powerful. And Joshua was great. And everyone was excited. Excited as to what God was doing through Joshua. But what happened to Joshua? Joshua got old. Joshua died. And so Joshua, who is Joshua? So as as we enter into the book of Judges, we start out after the death of Joshua. Who was Joshua? Joshua was the great leader of the people of Israel. And Joshua gathered all of the people together. Joshua was appointed by Moses. Joshua had all of the people following him. Joshua was a man of God. So when, Moses was, when Joshua was training under Moses, what did Joshua do? When Moses was out in the camp doing what he needed to do, Joshua stayed and he prayed in the temple. Or not in the temple, in the tabernacle. Joshua knew God. He was a man of God. It was Joshua who fought. When Moses held his hands up, it was Joshua who was down on the field fighting. So Moses is standing up above praying. That's why his hands were raised. That's what that means. And so it's Joshua then that was the hands of Moses fighting um, I don't remember who that was right offhand. Well, it does matter, but it doesn't matter for the sermon. Um, And so Joshua was in the midst fighting. Joshua led the people of Israel greatly. And the problem with a great leader, though, is that they're human. Great leaders don't last forever. Great leaders die. Now, great leaders die in all sorts of different ways. And this is one of the things that's really hard. Because sometimes great leaders die physically. You know, like for... Oh, just pick on politics. For the Republican Party, Reagan died. You know, what did it mean that Reagan died? It means that he, when he got Alzheimer's, when he stopped being a public figure, he died. He could no longer be the present leader of the Republican Party. You know, and that's what happened to the Republicans. And then, well, I'm not getting all the way into politics by any stretch of the imagination. But there was a physical death there. What happened when the king died? When the king dies, there's a time of turmoil. We don't know who to lead. Have any of you ever been in a congregation where a great leader has died? Someone who really established that congregation and led that congregation, and the people followed them, and they died physically. Have you ever had it when a really strong leader left? That was a type of death. Human leaders don't last forever. Because them leaving that position of authority is a type of a death. Because their position of authority now has died. And so great leaders die. They die physically. They die because they leave their position of leadership. They die also because of moral failures. Because of the authority that leadership has with it. That authority, that respect that's given to leaders, if they have a moral failure, that's a type of a death because that position of leadership is removed from them. That position of respect is removed from them, and they die. You know, and we have this happen in our lives. You know, as, as Jim was discussing these divorces that are going on and, and mom and dad fighting over the kids, what's happening there to those kids one of the things that's happening is their respect for their mom and dad is dying. And so their mom and dad, is, as the rocks, as the leaders in their lives, is getting washed away. Because that respect is dying. And so then their parents, in their eyes, as being the stable ones, the ones who know best, that image in their minds dies. And we go through this as Christians, as we follow anybody, as there's any great leader, they die in some way, shape, or form. They die. They might not die physically, but they might die morally. And so then we, in our minds, we remove them from that position of leadership. That person that was that moral upstanding person, they're dead. They have to be removed. They might die physically. Somebody else has to be put in that place. Someone leaves. I know that today is the last day for the Augustana Church. Uh, Kathleen Eulen Klinkner is leaving today. I was told yesterday um, that she's gone. So she's, to some degree, as that pastor, Kathleen Eulen Klinkner, pastor of Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church. (laughs) That position has died. It will move on to someone else. She's going somewhere else. She hasn't died physically and she, I don't think she's fine on dying physically, but not yet. Well, whatever. It's like, hole, let's keep yep. digging. I'm just going to stop right now. But that's, that's, a, that's a type of death. Leaders die. And that's important for us to remember, and that's important for us to realize, and that's important. That's a reality that we need to embrace because it is reality. And so then, where does the responsibility go? the people because what happens after the death of Joshua the people of Israel inquired of the Lord what's going on there when the great leader is removed from that position of leadership and there's nobody else to put in their place who does responsibility fall on everybody else it gets democratized out to all of the people. And this is so important that, and this is why it's important to realize that we can't simply follow a great leader. And by no means am I putting myself in this position, um, but we can't follow a great leader because they're going to be removed from us. And so all throughout our lives, we have to be practicing. Our walk with God so that when that leader is removed from some reason, for some reason, that we're not just like sheep getting scattered. Because that's what Jesus talks about. Remove the sheep, or remove the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He said that to the disciples. He goes, the problem with what's going on right now is you guys are just blindly following me. You need to be walking with God because I'm going to be killed. He rose again, obviously. And then he ascended. And then what happened? The disciples said, all right. We've got this. We're walking in this now. And that's what each and every one of us needs to be doing in our walk with God. That we don't just look to the leader to be our leader, but that we look to ourselves as being, well, some degree, leaders in training. But not even leaders of training. Those who are responsible for our own faithfulness and walk with God. And so if, if the people... What would it look like? Can you imagine a church... Can you imagine a congregation where everybody took seriously their own responsibility in their walk with God? So that falls on my shoulders. I need to walk with God. I need to grow in God. I need to grow deeper in God. Me, myself, personally, that's my responsibility and that's what I'm going to set my life towards. Can you guys imagine a congregation where everybody did that? It wouldn't be any work for a pastor. <laughs> that would be awesome. Actually, what it would do is it would allow me then to work on the fringes. Then I could work on expanding these things because the core would be solid. And that's what we try to build up. And that's actually one of the reasons, one of the lessons of the book of Judges. It falls on us individually, it falls on us personally. It's my responsibility to walk with God, it's your responsibility to walk with God you can't stand before God on the day of judgment and say well that's what my pastor told me though no because if you have an independent will and you have an independent mind and I know a lot of you because a lot of you are farmers you have independent minds you have independent responsibility wives you're responsible to God husbands you're responsible to God Children, you're responsible to God. You can't just say, well, that's what mom and dad said. No, you're responsible to God. Because that great leader, you're not to look to Joshua. You're not to look to Pastor Joe. You're not even to look to Jim Bus. You're to look to God. Make him your great leader because us human leaders, we die. I'm going to fail you at times. I promise you. Not intentionally, never intentionally, but I will fail you at times. But God never fails. I feel like I just end there. I'm like, all right, we're done. There's so much more. That would just be verse one. <laughs> Partnership. How do we do this then? Does this mean that we are now islands? Every man is an island. no. That is a terrible idea. We are not islands as Christians. We are not islands as human beings. We are all interconnected with each other. And so we do this then. I walk with the Lord in partnership with you guys. And you guys walk with the Lord in partnership with me. Because what happens? The people of Israel inquire of the Lord. Okay, so now the people are taking responsibility for the calling that God has given them. And God says to Judah, go up into the land. Okay, I'll read it. Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And then later when he's talking to Simeon, he says, come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. What is your calling? Now we had... The missionaries share. I'm not going to use your guys' names because that would be bad. Um, We had the missionaries share. We know what their calling is. God has called them very specifically to a place. Not yet to a people group, but to a place. But where has God called you? Where are you at? I know that some of you are in Sherburn and Mountain Lake and Medelia and You know, where do you live? What is your calling there? Who are the Canaanites? Yeah, there's even people from Godal. Wow. Actually, we have quite a percentage of that town coming here. (laughs) Um, It's not too hard when there's like eight. But, 12. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. I didn't know that it was 12. That's larger than I thought. Okay. Okay. Put that aside, Joe. Who are the Canaanites that God has called you to conquer? Because that's what God is calling the people of Judah. God has given each and every one of the tribes a job. And that's important. He's given each and every one of the tribes individual responsibilities. And as he's done that, he's also given each and every one of you individual responsibilities. He's given you callings. He's given you lands allotted to you. This is your work to be done. This is what God is calling you to do. And this is the things that we are called to embrace. These are the things that God has called us to embrace. The work that he's called us to. I know as pastor, at one level, my job is Hosanna. Like, that is my calling. That is my place in this world. I am called to minister to you. At the same time, I'm called to minister to through the spoken word. And so that's why we have YouTube. That's why we have podcasts. That's why we have the radio. Those are my Canaanites. I'm to minister into that land, to conquer, to, work, to bring the gospel into people that aren't hearing it otherwise. Or to bring the truth to people who want to know more. That's my calling. St. James is also my calling. You know, and then it spreads out from there, but then it grows dimmer. Because I can't touch everything. Not even Laverne is powerful enough to do that. You can't do everything. Can you, Laverne? Not quite. Pretty close. But we can't do everything, so we have to draw limits and draw lines and say, you know what? God has called me here to bring the gospel to the people of St. James, to bring the truth of Christianity to the people of St. James. This is my calling. Where's God called you? Are you a farmer? God has called you to care for the land. God has called you to provide food. God has called you to provide for your family. Are you a father? God has called you to provide for your family. God has called you to lead your family. Are you a husband? Are you a wife? You have callings. You have vocations. You have Canaanites to be fighting. You have a job to do. And that's what this represents. Why is it that God didn't just stick them all together and then have them mow through Israel all as one large group? He could have done that. But he didn't do that. And so he didn't do that. How can we apply that? This is how we apply that. What's my calling? What are the tasks allotted to me? Is it to care for your parents or your grandparents? Is it care for your children? Does it guide your spouse? I can tell you it's all of those things. To glorify God in your work? Is it to teach? Is it to preach? Maybe God's calling one of you to preach. I don't know. Maybe God's calling other missionaries. Maybe God's got his call on one of your lives. I can't say. I don't know all things. God does. He will show you the land allotted to you. But then what do you do? So you ask God. Don't ask me, ask God. Because that's what the Israelites do. They ask God. They say, Lord, what should we do first? And He'll show you. He spoke. God spoke to the Israelites. Isn't that an awesome thing? You know what we learn from that? God speaks to his people. Are you one of his people? God will speak to you. I don't know if he's going to do it out loud. He might do it out loud. He might do it through the words of someone else. He might do it as you're reading the Bible and it's just, boom, something embosses in there and it's like, I needed that phrase. And it just clarifies everything. That happens. By the grace of God, by the power of God, those things happen. So as God speaks to his people, God guides his people, you're not in this alone. This is God's land that he's giving to you to work. So your ministry and your calling, that's not yours, that's God's. But he's giving it to you to work. And that's, well, there's a lot of things, I'm not going into any of those. But we're not doing this alone. Because one of the awesome things about Judah does, he doesn't say, all right, I know what I'm called to do, I'm just going to go and do it all by myself turns to Simeon and he says, Simeon, let's do this together. Jim? So, the man is dead this Yes. The man Judah is dead. This yes. the, man dead. Is dead this the man Simeon is dead. Yep. So, did they have like a family head that made these decisions, or? They did. They had tribal leaders. And so, does God speak through leaders? Yeah. Are people responsible towards leaders? Yeah, because we're not all in this alone. God does work through hierarchies. And that's an interesting thing about leadership. As the great head dies, other people will rise up into lesser positions of leadership. You know, there might never be a Joshua again. And in all actuality, David never quite reached the position of, well, I don't know, you make the argument that David did reach the position of Joshua. But, you know, Solomon... No, didn't have the respect of the people. Rehoboam, nope. Northern kingdom split under him. And so it might have, David, Joshua, the great leaders. But throughout that, yeah, there's, there's individual leaders throughout the tribe of Judah, throughout the tribe of Simeon. There are leadership positions in there too. The the yeah, probably, yeah. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't speak to the individual, which we'll see further on in the book of Judges. Um, And so who does Judah ask? Judah asks Simeon. I don't know if you can see that there. Judah is this purple one down at the bottom. Simeon is the red one that's in its midst. And so when we're looking for help, who do we ask? We ask the one that's closely tied to what we're doing. You know, who else does this affect? And so when we need help, Because we do. We're not islands. We don't do this alone. And it wasn't that God called Caleb to go and do this. God called the whole nation of Judah to go and do this. As as we go out and do the work that we do, who else is touched? Who else is affected? Who else is called to something in this area? I'm not going to ask our missionaries to come and help me. Well, actually, I probably could since I have to cut that out. (laughs) since one of them speaks Spanish, um, you know, to go and help me minister to my neighbors. I could. But, you know, they have other work to do. Maybe I need to ask Lowell to help me to reach these people. Maybe. You know, who else is affected by this? Who else lives in this vicinity? Who else is called to this area? You know, that's... Why is it that Vicky, Well... Why is it that I often don't ask Vicki to preach? It's not her calling. But you know what? If you want someone to help you with music, she is a great one to ask. Maybe not Edgar. He might not be the best to help you with music. It's possible. You want someone to help you with woodworking? Kevin would be a good one to ask. But you don't help him to do something in calling that he's not comfortable with. You know, like, dance interpretation <laughs> so how do i know you're right i don't know maybe we should ask kevin to teach us dance um
1: <laughs> so yeah that was a
0: little louder than it was expected so what do we do though We're not in this alone. We must not do these things alone. God doesn't want us to be isolated individuals. He has called us as a community. And so to to fulfill the callings that God has given us, God wants us to ask those who have giftings, who have areas, who have allotments that are close to ours, to bring them in so that we can help them with theirs and they can help us with ours. Because we can't do these things alone. We're not islands. Does that make sense? We do this in partnership. Partnership with other people who have callings and giftings like we have. And there's all sorts of reasons why, but I'm not going into all the reasons why. And Then we get into the cracks. We start to see cracks already. We've only been through seven verses in the book of Joshua or Judges. And we're already seeing cracks in the faithfulness of the people of Israel. And it's just amazing. So what happened? The people of Israel called on the Lord and the Lord said, Judah, you go. Tribe of Judah to the head of Judah, we don't know where he spoke, how he spoke exactly. He said, you go. Judah said, and let's go. And then they went and they were successful. They did awesome things together. They defeated the Canaanites, they defeated the Perizzites, the Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Parasites into their hand. They defeated ten thousand of them at Bezek, and so Bezek's a place we don't know exactly where that is. Remember, we're a secondary audience. The author of the Book of Judges wasn't writing this for ignorant Minnesotans. Um, he was writing this for people who understood what was going on at that time. So at Bezek, they defeated ten thousand of these people, Canaanites and the Parasites. Enemies of God. People who are trying to, well, kill the Israelites for that matter. That's what they're trying to do. That's what's going on. And they start to take pride in this. And it makes sense that they would take pride in this. But instead of seeing this as a gift of God, they started to see these things as things that they did. And how do we know that? Because they started acting independently of the will of God. And they found Adonai Bezek. Now the word Adonai, do you guys know what that means? It just means lord, king, boss, head, you know, the head of Bezek. So they defeated all these people at Bezek. Then they captured Adonai Bezek. What were they supposed to do? What were the Israelites supposed to do when they entered into the land? Were they supposed to keep around trophies? No, they weren't supposed to keep trophies. They were supposed to clean the land, clear it out. It was supposed to be complete and utter well, we use the word genocide nowadays. They were supposed to kill them all. Why is that? Well, God, actually, because that question always comes up. Why did God command the Israelites to commit genocide? So when Abraham, do you remember when Abraham was brought to Israel? God said something really strange to Abraham. He told him, your descendants are going to go to Egypt for 400 years. And then he tells him why. I don't actually know exactly the, the order of this but he tells them why in that he says because the sins of these people haven't been fulfilled yet and so they haven't reached there's while at this point at the time of Abraham there were still people that were coming that were godly people in some way shape or form exactly how that worked out I don't know but we see that Jethro was a worshipper of God and we also see that Melchizedek was a worshipper of God and so there were godly people here. So they hadn't totally eradicated godliness. They hadn't given themselves over totally to unrighteousness at the time of Abraham. Sodom and Gomorrah had. See what God did there. But the rest of the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Hivites and all of those ites that are in Israel, they hadn't reached the fullness of their sinfulness. But once they reached the fullness of their sinfulness, God says, wipe them out. They're just going to be a snare to you. They're going to lead you astray. You have to get rid of of all of them. And the people of Israel disobeyed because they caught a trophy. They caught the king. And when they caught the king, they kept the king. And what did they do to the king? They cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Did God ever tell them to do that? No. God never told them to torture anybody. They just said, clean them out. Kill them all. Offer them all to the Lord as a sacrifice. Don't take any of their stuff. Don't take any of them. Don't take them. You have to wipe them out. And so then they captured the king. They cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Who else cut off thumbs and big toes? The Canaanites. So what are the Israelites doing now? They're starting to live like the Canaanites. They are assimilating the practices of the Canaanites unto themselves. As they're interacting with the Canaanites, even in war, they're starting to assimilate the practices of the Canaanites into themselves. And we as Christians need to take this as a warning. Because does it go, how many of you have ever read through the book of Judges? Anybody here? Most of you? Good, I'm glad to see that most of you have. Do the people of Israel get better or get worse in the book of Judges? I tell you, it's not better. So what happens when we start taking the ways of the world upon ourselves? We get worse and worse and worse and worse. It just goes downhill. And so this is why it's so important that we as Christians don't start taking trophies from the world. Don't start acting like the world. This doesn't mean that we can't have praise music. That's not what we're talking about here. But we're talking about the ways in which we interact with God. We're talking about the ways that we pray. We're talking about who do we pray to. Who is our goal? Who do we worship? Do we worship money like the world worships money? I know churches that worship money. Do we worship numbers like the world worships numbers? I know churches that worship numbers. Does it go well for them? Does it go well for churches that worship money? Does it go well for churches that worship tradition? The world worships tradition. We're not supposed to worship tradition. We're supposed to worship Jesus, we're supposed to be in obedience to Jesus. Not the people that lived 500 years ago. We don't obey them. We obey Jesus. He is our Lord. He is our master. And so when the Israelites start assimilating unto themselves the practices, the glories of the people of Canaan, it doesn't go well. And so we as Christians need to keep our eyes on the prize. Glory. Heaven. Eternity. That's our goal. We're not the world. We don't live like the world. We don't act like the world. We don't look like the world looks because we don't look where the world looks. That's what the Israelites were doing. They were saying, see how great we are? We've got Adonai Bezek, the Lord of Bezek, under our thumb. See how great we are? Instead of saying, God, thank you. They're puffing themselves up to the people around them. Because I tell you what, God wasn't impressed. Obedience is better than sacrifice, right? That's what we're told in the book of Samuel. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And so, what do we learn? Who is ultimately responsible? Me. Not Pastor Joe. Me. I'm ultimately responsible to God. You can follow me as your pastor. You don't have to. That's fine. Because you're ultimately responsible for you, and I'm ultimately responsible for me. But I will do the best that I can to lead you in godliness in any way, shape, or form I can. I will do my best. Follow me as I follow Christ. When I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. And you have to make that decision. And as you're following Christ, bring along others with you that have the same callings and places and allotments that you have. Gather them into your lives that the kingdom of God might come into this world. That you might help reach St. James or Sherburn. That you might help reach people on the radio. Maybe God's calling one of you to have a radio ministry. I don't know. This is the work of God. Fulfill the calling that he has given you and bring others with you so that you might do that better. And finally, don't, don't make the world's goals your goals. Don't assimilate their practices or you will become like them. And if you become like them, oh, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. And I can use way harsher language, but we'll just leave it at that. Any questions? Clear as mud? Mina. I don't know why I did that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the battle that God gave to you. The battle that God gave to Mina was to heal. And as we prayed for Mina as her congregation, as her fellow Christians... We walked alongside of her in the healing of her body. And that was our privilege. And so God worked, even through our prayers, to heal Mina. And so though Mina was about to die, she lived. As Mina fought, she didn't fight alone. She fought with the prayers, alongside the prayers of her fellow Christians. So as our missionaries go off to another land, they are going to bring the gospel, hopefully, Fighting alongside the prayers of other Christians, battling Satan for the souls of the people that they're going to. We participate in that as we pray. We are fellow workers with them in the work that God has called them to do as we pray. We pray here, they go there. Like Moses standing on the cliff, Joshua does the fighting, Moses stands we're called to stand as Moses if we're called to stay here. Maybe you're called to go with them. Would you like some partners? All right. So if anybody wants to come with, they're leaving in January. (laughs) Get you act together. No, but we do this as partners. And so as I fight, pray for me. As you fight, whatever fight you have, ask for prayer. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your powerful working. Lord, Even in our lives, we thank you for the calling that you have for us, Lord. And I pray that we wouldn't just be lost without a leader, but that we would look to you as our leader. Lord, as the people of Israel were called to do, to look to you, that you would be our king. Lord, and may we walk in righteousness and in obedience, even when we don't understand it, even when we don't like it, Lord, that we wouldn't assimilate the goals and the practices of the nations around us. Lord, that we would walk in holiness and righteousness in everything we do. Lord, that you might be glorified and that we might remain pure. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final hymn today. Yikes.